Hello and welcome to The Breakdown on Latte Firm. I am, of course, your host, FK, Faisal, F Carnage, whatever you want to call me. Uh, Arsenal are closing in on the signing of Mikhailo Mudrik, and I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Todos. Andrew, welcome to the show. Uh, it's your first time on The Firm. You're very, very welcome because I know nothing about Mikhailo, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts about it. Andrew, how are you doing? You good? Cheers. Thanks for having me on, Faisal. Uh, looking forward to chatting a bit more about it. Madrid and everything that's probably going to be coming up in the next few weeks <laughs> or hopefully not months <laughs> um, yeah well hopefully for Arsenal hopefully for Arsenal we get it over the line but there's been a lot of talk about um, Madrid and you know obviously there's been a bit of a public pursuit we'll talk about all of that I want to talk to you about you know his strengths his playing style areas for improvement and whether you think it'll actually happen and what sort of impact he might have uh, at Arsenal should he arrive. But before we do that, Andrew, just a quick intro to anybody who might be unfamiliar with you, you know, your background and your association to Ukrainian football. Sure. So my name is Andrew Todos. Uh, I'm a Ukrainian sports journalist, freelancer mainly, work for both uh, Ukrainian uh, media companies and I've done a few bits and pieces for British ones and elsewhere. And I founded uh, Zorya Lombonsk, the sort of go-to place for Ukrainian football in the English language in 2018 and have been running the socials for that, the website, uh, written a number of articles. And I also co-host the English language podcast on Ukrainian football called Ukraine Plus Football. So if there's anyone that can tell you something about Madrid, hopefully that can be me. <laughs> well, you beat me to it. I was going to say, if there's anyone in this game that could tell us, that can enlighten us about uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, then obviously you are best place for that. First of all, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Is it Mikhailo, Mikhailo and Mudrik, Mudrik? How, how do you how do you pronounce his name? Yeah, Mikhailo Mudrik. So uh, in terms of just forget about the K in his first name and Mudrik's uh, perfect. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Thanks for that. Uh, as we normally do on these breakdowns, uh, I will share some uh, slides with you, Andrew, and of course with the viewers. And if you're watching, please do drop a like on the video, subscribe to the channel and all that sort of stuff. And let us know in the chat what your thoughts are on Mihailo. Uh, right. First up, basic information, Andrew. We know that he is 21 years of age. He's uh, 1.75 meters tall, so just shy of five foot nine. For some reason, he seemed or he looks a lot bigger um, on sort of videos and photos. I thought it'd be a lot taller. I thought, I, I don't know why, I thought he was going to be six foot plus. Uh, we know that he's currently at Shakhtar and he's a Ukraine international. He's got a handful of caps for the national team. Preferred foot is right. And I want to get your thoughts on, you know, how both footed could he be or might he be um position wise we know you know we'll see some heat maps uh, later that he prefers to play on that left side left wide forward left wing position um this season in the ukrainian premier league and champions league he's made 17 starts and one appearance off the bench getting 10 goals and eight assists in both competitions his passing accuracy is good 81 percent, very comparable to, to other midfielders other attacking players and his shooting accuracy is pretty high as well uh, forgive me for the spelling mistake there um and his contract expires 31 december 26. um andrew tell us about you know mikhailo mudrik as, as a general overview why would arsenal be interested in this player so um first of all mikhailo mudrik i think is probably one of the biggest talents in terms of potential that Ukraine has had for a long time. Some people even comparing to Andrew Shevchenko back in the 90s uh, when he was playing with Dynamo Kiev. Uh, certainly the kind of transfer fees seem to fall in line with that in terms of breaking records and everything else. 
However, I think that Arsenal want him because they see that he is still a player that can be developed into the kind of goals that the player himself wants to grow into and fulfil going forward. Uh, he's very much a player who is very motivated and determined, I think, to reach the very top of the game in football. And just the reality of the circumstances are that he won't be able to do that, Shakhtar, especially um, given recent um, recent events in Ukraine with the war and just simply the level of football that is, all, that is always going to be um, an echelon or two lower than uh, those top five leagues. So I think that Arsenal are looking at him thinking that there is real potential for a player that could become a world-class elite athlete in the coming years under, hopefully, the tutelage of uh, Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff. Indeed. I mean, obviously, look, he's still a young boy. Uh, let's talk about his upbringing a little bit. Um, he spent most of his life in the Ukraine. Uh, tell us about his career to date. Uh, any sort of highlights from various loan moves and sort of his, you know, coming up through the ranks? So, I saw, he came on my radar about, well, four four years ago or so. He was playing for the Shakhtar under-19s um, in the youth league and for the lower divisions. And he was dubbed the Ukrainian Neymar, the thing that you see everywhere. Uh, someone's always got to have some sort of comparison or, or something similar. And whether it's fair or not, I'm not sure. Probably in terms of personality, there's probably a difference in, in that perspective. But in terms of skills set, uh, um pace and sort of some a player that likes to put on a show you're definitely going to get you're definitely going to get the same there it's interesting that you it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, under 19s because there's a very popular clip of him going around where he had a penalty and he did the robert Pires Thierry Henry where he sort of flicked it across to his teammate i mean the 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 arrogance and the confidence to do that at what 18 years of age is it's quite fascinating exactly and that is one of the bits that I was probably going to raise. That's probably one of the main highlights that made him go viral, per se, in, you know, a few years ago when, when that occurred. And then he started, obviously, making a name for himself from that perspective. People were hyping him up, as you can tell in, you know, Ukrainian media circles and, and everywhere. This very young player who's got loads of tattoos, um, blonde hair, looks quite of a unique character in the grand scheme. I think someone that wants to be seen rather than someone that's uh, going to be, you know, rather closed off or anything like that. And that flamboyance, etc., obviously exceeded to the fact that he had a couple of loan moves in Ukraine, in the Ukrainian Premier League, played for Arsenal Kiev, who sadly quite were quite poor as a side. Um, they finished bottom the year that he was there. Um, and they were just, it wasn't much development in that game other than literally senior experience playing against other Ukrainian Premier League teams but he didn't do too much there in terms of anything um, you know either goals or assists and then he also had another move to Desnachernikiv which also similarly didn't work out he had a few appearances looked okay but it just didn't really kick on for whatever reason and under the Shakhtar manager before the last two so Luis Castro he was there I think from 2019 to the summer of 2021. He had a bit of a, a gripe with Madrid on the basis that Madrid was 
at the time, I think 2019, maybe in, even in 2020, very much focused more on making Instagram videos where he was doing skill shots and fancy touches and flicks and all this kind of thing, rather than focusing on his football. Um, whether that was 100% true in terms of like, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was more to do with the fact that Madrid wasn't getting his chances in the first team because there were a lot of Brazilians and a lot of uh, sort of those players that Shakhtar were renowned for then. They had Manuel Solomon, who could play on either wing. They had Tete, who's currently at um, Leon. They also had uh, Tyson was there, Fernando Santos, who recently joined uh, Red Bull Salzburg. So they had all these players and there was very much, it was very difficult to get him into the team. And due to the circumstances where Shakhtar have to win the league every year and all that kind of thing, the youth wasn't very much prioritised at that point. Then Castro left. De Zerbi came in, which who everyone is now familiar with because he's uh, the Brighton manager. And he basically helped Madrid develop. He showed some faith in him for a start. Uh, I think they had a little conversation together when he first arrived saying, what are your goals? What do you really want to achieve? I, I want to help you achieve those goals in the future. Like, what's your main career objective? And Madrid said, yeah, I want to win the Ballon d'Or and I can. and." Zerbi, instead of you know laughing it off or anything, he said, "I'll help you try and reach those targets." And you know he helped him out with getting him his Champions League debut, a start against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, which he was subbed off in the second half, got a standing ovation from the fans there, which is rare. Uh, similarly, he started playing more regularly in the team, uh, was getting more goal contributions, either from assists, from um, from from goals themselves. And then, obviously, the full-scale invasion occurred in Ukraine um, in February of this year. And that meant that the second half of the 21-22 season didn't resume. It was essentially cancelled and voided. And if anything, it somehow has helped Madrid even more in his career development. Because what what happened after that was obviously all the foreign players left. So next to no Brazilians or similar competition in the team for him. Uh, there were a lot of these charity friendlies that Shakhtar played in the spring of this year. And essentially, Mudrik was, became sort of the, the, the number one player in the team. He was playing really well in these obviously half-baked uh, fixtures, which don't necessarily, mean, don't necessarily mean anything, but he was just showing himself that he can be this starter and that he can start producing and developing. Then he got his Ukraine senior debut, scored on it. Sadly, it's not an official statistic because he was playing against Bruce Mönchengladbach and that doesn't count as a, an official uh, a game under UEFA and FIFA rules. But he's been slowly making his way into, Ukra into the Ukraine national team. I'd say he is the starting left winger there now. And um, similarly in the Shakhtar team, as everyone has seen, he had a great start to this first half of the campaign, both in the Champions League and in the Ukrainian Premier League. Before we talk about his uh, playing style and positioning and strengths and weaknesses, just a couple of things. I mean, you, you picked up the point there about his interaction with De Zerbio quite early on. You know, what is your future goal? What's your ambitions? And for him to sort of say, I want to win the Ballon d'Or. And also another comment that kind of springs to mind is the way that I think Brentford and Everton were, were, were reportedly interested in him about a year ago, 20, 25 million pounds. And he publicly sort of said, 
Brentford, I'm not joining a club like Brentford, you know, they're sort of mid-table in the Premier League. I want to be all about European Cups and I want to be challenging. I want to be playing in the Champions League. Now, that's all nice to hear, but is this kid out of his mind? You know, Ballon d'Or, Champions League, you know, Brentford, Premier League, not good enough for me. Or is he the real deal? Like, has he, where, where is this sense of self-belief kind of come from? Well, I think it probably comes from sort of coaches like De Zerbe for, for a start, the ones that show the faith in him. Uh, similarly, there has been a lot of hype around him for a while uh, from Ukrainian uh, media, from elsewhere, you know, those people that like picking up the Wonder Kids and that kind of thing in Europe and, and all, all the rest. And I think that's obviously had a, an impact on his mental state to believe in that. And he's got the mentality. He's got that. Well, it looks like right now he's got that Cristiano Ronaldo mentality where he is fully focused on, you know, trying to become the best person they possibly can be. For example, staying after training for extra sessions where he's like practicing, finishing with his weak foot, with his left foot, which he has exponentially improved in um, over the past six months, I would say, in terms of finishing with that foot. Uh, you know, extra, extra sessions in the gym where he's got his own personal trainer, aside from the gym work that he does for the club. And there was a recent interview where him and his personal trainer were getting interviewed in the gym and basically they said we want to work on a goal where he somehow breaks 40 kilometers per hour sprint speed <laughs> and wow. from from a perspective of the fact that he i think was the fastest sprint uh, achieved the fastest sprint speed in the champions league this season like 36.7 kilometers or something per hour uh to be trying to push for a 40 which seems like ridiculous um it just shows that I don't know whether you could call it out of his mind, but you have to have that self-belief in you to go that far. And he's got that in abundance. That's like absolutely for sure. And it seems that that's the only thing he's focused on right now. He's like got no other distractions other than his sort of own career um, and be trying to become the goal that he's got. Like he, as far as I'm aware, he doesn't drink. He doesn't do uh, any like fancy partying and all that kind of stuff. He quite religious um quite um just a quite a reserved character in general um you know you could even say like zinchenko who's obviously settled down as a family mid in his mid-20s but he's he, he doesn't like create a scene or anything like that like he's going to like nightclubs or, or anything like that so i think that is a, a positive yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I like to uh, explore these sorts of things when I, when I do these breakdowns. You know, obviously, it's great to hear about a player's football style and football sort of career. But, you know, his temperament and what's he like off the pitch? And obviously, we know he's young. He's got time to have a family. And it's nice to know about his ambition and his drive and what makes him tick. And that's been really insightful. I did want to pick up the other thing, which is his tattoos. And, of course, the most prominent one, uh, which, of course, like you say, is close to his religion rather than any sort of... Uh, plea to Gabriel Jesus, uh, as, as many have <laughs> joked online, but he does have an only Jesus tattoo is, you know, is that part of the Ukrainian culture? Is that something that's really close and sort of dear to him, his, his religious beliefs? Um, I guess it's, I guess you could say that it's, uh, close to him for sure. Whether it's part of the Ukrainian culture. Yes. There are a lot of religious people, a lot of, uh, orthodox people, um, in Ukraine, but I think that that's more just his probably from his upbringing. I think he grew up in a relatively modest uh, house with his uh, mum and dad. I think he's got a sister as well, an older one, and they were both teachers, as far as I'm aware. I can't remember exactly what what they specialised in, but 
the fact that they were teachers, it sort of like nurtured him into being quite this articulate, um, uh, you know, non non evasive character where he was like always sensible and sort of going on with that. And the fact that they probably were teachers, they sort of instilled into him the facility to do hard work. Uh, you've seen <laughs> the the only Jesus one is just one of like hundreds of tattoos that he's got. He recently had one. <laughs> um, uh, on his neck that says talent ain't enough and talent's been sort of crossed out so that sort of I guess Gosh. shows more leaning <laughs> there's a lot of um, um, some laughter about that just on the basis that it's not proper English <laughs> but um, the, the, the general consensus is that he is uh, very focused on the hard work and maybe yeah he probably does have an ego who, who doesn't if you're an elite sports person you have to believe in yourself like that but um, I think he, yeah, he's certainly focused um, on everything that's coming ahead, and I'm, I'm sure that's why, in recent weeks and months, he's been so open about wanting a move to Arsenal and to a, a to a better club. I find it fascinating. We'll talk about the wanting to move to Arsenal right towards the end, but let's move on to his playing style. So, courtesy of my good friend uh, Scott Willis at Crab Stats, uh, you may have seen these radars before, but it essentially shows how a player competes in various different traits of playing football against players in his in his own league. Um, now, we have to bear in mind the heavy caveat here is that these uh, stats are composed from the Ukrainian league, currently I think ranked 16th in the UEFA coefficients, so it's not the most um, superior league in terms of quality. Uh, but as far as he's concerned, his performances, as you can see there, in the higher percentiles of a lot of traits, as you would expect from, atta from an attacker, from expected goals to shots on goal to um, dribbles and, and progressive carries, we're talking about Shakhtar's star boy, aren't we? I mean, he, he's potentially their, their best player. Oh, for sure. I think it's hands down that he's their best player. And he's very much key to whether they have a good game or they don't. Hit, hit and miss and if he is for example due to his let's say superior quality to probably the rest of the team other than that there are a number of other players but maybe not as key to being game changers as he is when he is for example having a quiet one whether he is uh, for example in the Champions League if he's like marked out the game then the rest of the team can't really adapt without him or it sort of it hinders the whole side Whereas if he was to join maybe another side where there is more quality across the attacking line, um, that would maybe take that burden off him a bit more. And he would be able to uh, adapt to the scenarios that come about, you know, maybe getting a bit more space, a bit more time on the ball, a bit more time to try and move into the spaces rather than constantly having to be on the ball, constantly having to try and create something, constantly having to to find a shot or get a shot away or a cross. So I think that that also has an impact on everything that goes on in the in Ukrainian Premier League for him as a, as a Shakhtar player. And on top of that, uh, it's the playing style for Shakhtar, for example, is very different between the Ukrainian Premier League and obviously the Champions League. In the Champions League, Shakhtar are, you could say, the inferior teams against most of the other clubs that they play because of the quality gap and Shakhtar have to play counter-attacking football on the most part that obviously plays into a lot of Madrid's strengths where he is very quick uh, very agile but similarly in the Ukrainian Premier League he's playing against quite a lot of low blocks 
a lot of defensive teams, a lot of teams that play of like 10 players behind the box, uh, in the behind the ball. And as a result, he has got experience against trying to, you know, come at players rather than sort of running away from them. Um, you've, you've beaten me to the question because I was going to ask. I mean, Shakhtar are obviously the number one team in Ukraine. Presumably, I don't I, I don't watch them on a weekly basis, I must confess, but they come, come up against teams that basically part the bus and, you know, that probing <laughs> element to the game, the patience, the build-up, you know, trying to beat those low blocks is, is a key element because you've seen Arsenal, certainly this season, we've been dominating, controlling games like that and we've had to sort of be patient before, you know, smashing down the door. So, Really interesting to see that experience from from both fronts, and I I guess just to pick on I guess some you know his playing style a little bit and sort of start talking about that, you know pace you've described you know he, he recorded the, the faster speed and we'll see that in a later slide, but you know he is electric fast and one of my friends who hosts a, a European football podcast from from Eastern Europe said to me that if there's one thing I know about Mikhailo Mudrik it's basically that he's the fastest player you'll ever see on and off the ball. Um, so pace is obviously a key strength for him. Being able to work and build in transition is is key as well, based on how Shakhtar play. Uh, he likes to carry the ball. Is he a bit of a showboater? I mean, you, you mentioned sort of, sort of comparison to Neymar, but has, is he all about flicks and tricks or, or, or is he quite effective at carrying the ball? I wouldn't say so. In terms of like, you know, if we just do the direct comparison to, for example, like Anthony, where he's doing like stepovers and things like that, that don't <laughs> actually end up resulting in anything. He does like next to none of that. Most of, you know, what I'd say is that his, maybe not his tricks, but the way that Iniesta played football, where you know where he like, you know, you can do the the zigzag or something, not the, not the zigzag, but you can try and do those kind of um, sort of skill moves that can potentially be effective in the play. So he like taking the ball from one foot to another very quickly uh, at low centre of gravity to try and beat two players and get out of and make a bit more space for yourself. He's very effective at doing that. And especially when he's sort of coming at players a bit more, um, rather than maybe from like a standstill position where he has to try and create something where he'd probably be better off in that position due to his also skill set passing to just to play it onto someone else and then try and create um, the attack from another vantage point. It's really exciting. And I'm really pleased, actually, that you used the reference to Anthony because, of course, Shakhtar are using that as a bargaining tool. But actually, in terms of playing style, you know, the Premier League is relentless. You don't have much time on the ball. You don't. You certainly don't have time to dick about with the ball and do sort of, you know, step overs and all that sort of stuff unless you're tremendously elite. Uh, but this guy, you know, he's efficient with his plays. Close control is good and he's very, very effective at moving the ball forward. If I move through the slide deck, I want to look at his sort of heat maps and shot maps. So, uh, again, limited stats because it's the Ukrainian Premier League. I don't have access to all of that sort of stuff, as I mentioned to you before going on air. I'm not a pro at this. I'm just a, a regular office office guy. Um, but his Champions League heat map uh, shows that he loves to hug that left-hand side. And, and normally I'd say, well, Andrew, look, I mean, defensively, he's quite good. But actually, I think this is probably more of a reflection based on what you said earlier about Shakhtar's playing style in the Champions League, where they often have to defend and he's probably getting involved in starting off attacks from deep. Is that right? Absolutely. I think that's 100% the, the case, that he drops down, you know, towards the edge of the box there, of his own box, to try and pick the ball up and try and start something and create something. However, he is comfortable in those positions. Uh, sort of he's brave enough to maybe from um, when Shakhtar defending a corner, he's on the edge of the box trying to pick anything, pick any of those headers off that one of the defenders will flick out. Then he'll be trying to beat two players um, that are coming to close him down. 
get a bit of space and then sort of start the attack off from there. So I think that he would be able to bring that to Arsenal or anywhere else if he was if he was to join. And he is even tenacious enough to try and get a few tackles in as well, albeit that's certainly not one of his strengths. And I'm, <laughs> I've seen him get a few bookings from a few late ones. Interesting. Uh, in terms of positioning then, so we know that he's predominantly left-sided. You said that his improvement with his left foot has been, you know, uh, multiple fold. I mean, is this a player, I know he's drifted in at sort of number 10 roles. Could he potentially play on the right side? How sort of fluid would he be across that forward three? Um, in all honesty, I've not seen him play too much on the right. Um, just like throughout his career, he's been predominantly on the left. He does obviously come in a lot more centrally because he's right-footed. Even if we look at that shot map, we see a fair few shots from outside the box, but he still tries to get it inside uh, or try and get it vi- to a viable position where he can um, actually get a viable shot away. And the problem is, is that, well, and sometimes they can be a bit wild or, or something like that, but that's, I think, more to do with the fact that he doesn't have options around him. Uh, or viable options around him to uh, either lay someone off or pass into the box. And so he's actually got to take a lot of that, um, a lot of that uh, necessity on himself to try and bring it down, um, try and beat maybe a man extra that he probably doesn't need to, if there was maybe a bit more quality around him, especially at Schechter at the moment, this season. So since the past six months, he, the centre forwards that he's been playing with haven't been overly effective, especially in uh, the Champions League. So that has obviously got an impact into sort of balls into the into the box uh, because he's got no one, no one to pass there, pass into there. And he likes taking maybe that extra decision making point. You know, when he cuts in down to the byline and then tries to cut it back to someone who's around there, he gives an extra decision. Uh, an extra second of decision to try and make sure that he can feed someone in rather than just aimlessly punting it across the box and ensuring that someone finishes. Albeit if he was at Arsenal or anywhere else in sort of like a top league where you expect there to be a bit more of an elite centre forward or even a better uh, winger or someone like Odegaard behind him, it, it would help out that that dynamic and sort of lift the the kind of pressure that he's got on himself at all times to try and constantly uh carry the carry the team essentially yeah and that's an important consideration because you know we have to appreciate that he is essentially the big fish at the moment and he will move to a team where he'll be playing with players that are maybe better than him more experienced than him and he'll have to sort of learn that but but the the key takeaway for me is, is is his shot accuracy i mean the blue dots being shots on target, the five sort of purples are the goals that he scored against an expected uh, non-penalty XG of 2.7, which is great. And this, of course, is via Scout. But his shot accuracy, 64.4%. You compare it to someone like Gabri Martinelli, who currently plays that left-sided position, you know, his shot accuracy is 42%. So it's really encouraging. Um, and, and hopefully Arteta can coach him into being more smarter with his final ball more efficient you know if he, if he's got a good shot on target then that's great but like you say if he's got better options in and around him playing for a better team hopefully he'll become smarter and more effective in that final third with his decision making if i move on andrew i'd like to move on to uh, some interesting stats i mean the speed came through but this is this is a, a data based on performance for Ukraine and in the Champions League. So this is actually excluding Ukrainian Premier League. Um, now, normally these these radars are quite 
uh, compelling in, in either that they're either outstanding and you think, wow, this guy's got everything that there is about it, or or they're not so outstanding. And and it breaks down the, the prey into three different areas. So the attacking segment is the blue, and you can see that Mudrik for Ukraine and in Champions League, not as great as maybe you would think. Likewise with uh, possession, which is great, and defending, which is red. Now, this it, obviously, there's a reflection here of Shakhtar playing what Real Madrid you mentioned a couple of times. I think they've played, uh, is it Leipzig? They've played a couple of times as well. Yeah. So, you know, two very, very good teams. So you wouldn't expect him to be outperforming uh, players at that level. But the key takeaways for me, if you look at the bottom right square there, that's courtesy of Sky Sports. He is, you know, the the best player at goal scored, assists, triple competed for, for Shakhtar in the Champions League. And you look at the speed, I mean, Usman Dembele, who had a, uh, you know, questionable World Cup, but, but Mikhailo Mudrik is up there. He is the fastest player recorded in that competition. I mean, there are some real takeaways for us from this slide, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think obviously what we have to consider in both Ukraine and Shakhtar in the Champions League, taking those stats into consideration, is very much a more counter-attacking style of football to be played, where it's essentially if the counter-attack doesn't work out, then it sort of falls behind on everything and either Ukraine or, or Shakhtar become very ineffective. And so does Mudrik as a result of that. So essentially, and because he's got such high quality, you know, even for Ukraine, for example, on the other wing who's been playing, uh, for example, if he needed to switch it or try and find another outlet, it's Andrei Omelenko. And he obviously is nowhere near the level that he used to be anymore. And it's just different. The centre forwards not in the best of form this year as well. So that all comes into it. And I think that in a more rounded team, uh, where he's got a bit more, um, you know, the teammates that are probably a bit more effective and probably a bit more on a level of quality with him, or even better than him, that will help him exponentially uh, to try and develop as a player that he thinks that he can um, become you mentioned switching play and, and one thing that i wanted to get your thoughts on was just his passing ability passing style um does he prefer you know short easy for, sort of passes to teammates or is he quite yeah you know uh ambitious with his passing you know does he like to switch play long long ball passes you know what, what's his what's his style um he's actually got very he's a very uh very passer he can do it all really he can do he can switch it um from wing to wing He's got a good long ball um, pass on him, good at crossing if needed. He, Although that's not really something that Schechter play towards on the grand scheme of things. And he's he can pull things out of the bag there, you know, the likes of Luka Modric. You'd probably see Luka Modric trying to attempt, you know, outside the foot um, through balls that if on the end of with someone with a better finishing ability, we'd probably be seeing a few more viral videos um, of stuff like that. But similarly, on top of that, there's a lot of passes where maybe he can probably either think about it for a second more or try and not overthink things because there's a bit of a mix in that position, just that he either doesn't release it early enough or he does and it just goes to no one uh, because he's taken on three players and... Well, maybe maybe a bit of panic sets in that someone needs to you know get the ball, and I think, for example, if he was to move to Arsenal, that Arteta would probably hone in on that and try and make him calm down slightly, uh, being slightly less erratic in that perspective. 
But, that, but that's useful to know because, you know, we forget he is a young boy. He'll presumably come here with, with quite a hefty tag. There'll be a lot of eyes on him uh, if he's going to play left-sided where Martinelli's obviously doing a fine job at the moment. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure. But I think Arteta has shown his uh, ability to to integrate these young boys in, into a team. And the way that he's helped players come on leaps and bounds in terms of their playing style is is really encouraging. But one thing that I forgot to ask you about was his sort of uh, physique. You know, we talked about his height. So he's got a low center yeah. of gravity, explosive pace. He looks quite sort of shoulder heavy, quite broad. But is he, um, you know, is he able to ride tackles? And is he physically strong when, it, when, you know, when he's, you know, being taken out uh, in a foul challenge, for example? How quick is he to sort of, you know, get up and just carry on? Or does he sort of roll around on the floor? And is he a bit of a no, history on that's one of the comparisons I'd say he isn't like Neymar. Um, when it comes to when it comes to something like that, he's very much bulked up over the past, I don't know, year for certain. Uh, as I mentioned, with that personal trainer, he's really been working on trying to sort of beef up his physicality. And at the moment, it's not affected his speed or, or any of his other physical attributes. So that's always a good thing. And he does try and get into those tackles, with it, whether it being, well, uh, into those duels, with it being a shoulder barge or when someone is trying to, um, dispossess him he's very much relentless in trying to stay on his feet and keep keep going so um, that's one of the main things that I have seen it, it improve on very well over maybe the past um, the past year year and a half well, it's good to know because the Premier League, like I said, is absolutely relentless. Uh, right, let's move on to whether it's going to happen or not. And of course, his, his almost public pursuit of Arsenal. Now, <laughs> um, we know, we, you know, we talked, he's a really interesting character because, you know, normally I cover players and you hear about their upbringing and, they, you know, they just move to a club. But there's something special about this guy where a special stroke, crazy, <laughs> where he sort of said, you know, I want to win Ballon d'Or. I don't want to move to Brentford because they're just a mid-table Premier League team and I want to be playing in the European Cup or Champions League. Um, he's been flirting with Arsenal fans, as you can see. The screenshot recently that's that's been very sort of famously going around. He watched Arsenal beating West Ham the other night. Uh, that's obviously an edit that I found on the internet. But I mean, I guess, you know, is this a Peter Oden wingy, you know, turning up outside Colney with his window down? Or is he is he genuinely trying his hardest without you know sort of submitting a transfer request to get this move over the line i mean what's what's your knowledge of him and his relationship with arsenal is he an arsenal fan is he just all about looking up to sinchenko because he's there is this going to happen um i think there's a lot to unpack there so i'll quickly go through it uh yeah essentially i think it's probably more to do with the fact that uh he's trying to hint as best as possibly can that he is he would be very happy with a move to Arsenal but I don't think he's going to go as far as force him his way out of Shakhtar because he did actually sign that new contract that we meant that you mentioned ends in 2026 I think he signed the extension at the start of this year so um, he signed that most recently I think he knows for certain if he doesn't move in January it's almost like a hundred percent that he will move in the summer, if 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 nothing happens in in this month, and I think he's very much, as he's mentioned in a number of interviews, one with Vladimir Zinchenko, Zinchenko's wife, um, where he spoke to her saying that yeah, I am, I'd be very happy sort of to move to Arsenal. I'm 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 open to it, um, but it all depends on Shakhtar, and I think that that's everything that really this does bottle down to whether they're going to be happy with the fees that have been spoken about. Um, 
whether he's an Arsenal fan, I don't think he has openly said that or anything. But I said I think that he has been following obviously the Premier League for a long time. Zinchenko is obviously a big connection there for him, who is a big leader. He's seen sort of the success that he has had in the Premier League, coming there from a relatively young age as well. When Zinchenko joined in, when he was eighteen, and I think the the comparisons is that that Mudrik knows that he has to sort of get that move as soon as possible in order to prevent any issues with development and all that kind of thing. It's sort of like high time right now on how much of a season or half season he's had that's been so explosive that he just wants to build on it immediately. And on top of that, not that anyone said this, but from my personal opinion, the fact that Arsenal are leading the Premier League and he's got the chance to join Arsenal in the in the winter and then win the Premier League sort of straight away, rather than joining for example, if Arsenal were to win it in the summer and then having the pressures of having to retain the league and all that kind of stuff that comes with it, now probably is the optimal time for him to ever make the move to the club, if that makes sense. It does indeed. Um, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about this uh, sort of opportunity. Um I think he's clearly a very talented player, and for for you know for Mikel Arteta, the track record he's he's got at bringing in new players and integrating them into this team, the talent ID, you know, you, it's difficult to question. I guess my reservations are that we have a player here who is largely proven in a low ranked league, and I say that with the greatest respect. He's had maybe fifteen hundred minutes in total, um, you know, and we're going by some appearances in the Champions League where he showed moments of absolute brilliance. Of course, I completely appreciate that Arsenal will have watched him much more in depth than anybody we, you know, we we kind of know. Um, and of course, I'm sure Arteta has probably spoken to Sinchenko about him. But in you know, things to be excited about. He's young, he's strong, he's explosively quick. You know, I think we lack, you know, pure speed at Arsenal. I know we've got Martinelli. I know we've got. Uh, Sakia, and they are very quick with the ball. But you know, I'm talking sort of Walcott pace, pace that we had in the past. Henri, when he was in his prime, you know, players would just hate coming up against that sort of player. And the clips that I've seen on YouTube that I'm also guilty of watching, um, Mudrik looks explosive, uh, you know, rapid fast. And I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully he's got the right mindset. You know, I'm fascinated, really intrigued to, to know that this guy has is 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 bold enough to say I want to win the Ballon d'Or to his manager, and uh, bold enough to even put him out there to to sort of reject Brentford and to to put him out there for a club like Arsenal, who, like you say, Andrew, are competing for the Premier League. So, so there you have it, ladies and gents. There is a breakdown on Mikhailo Mudrik. Arsenal, of course, edging closer and closer and closer to potentially this signing this this winter window. Um, let me know your thoughts in the chat. You know, do you think this is the guy that we should be going for? Uh, what do you make of Andrew's uh, conclusions in terms of his strength? and weaknesses and sort of playing style. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being the guest today on The Firm. Really appreciate it. If you want to follow Andrew, Andrew is, of course, available at Andrew Todos and, of course, uh, Zoria Londonsk, uh, which is his, he's the founder of. So thanks, Andrew, for joining. Uh, let's see if this one pans out. Hopefully, uh, Mikhailo Mudrik will join and will join soon. Uh, and until next time, guys, uh, take care of yourselves and a very, very happy new year. <laughs>